Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. And today we have a very special guest on board, manager, music executive, and producer with a role in the success of acts like The Far Side, Cypress Hill, Coolio, Anderson Pack, and just many, many more. We've got Adrian Miller in the house. How are you doing, bro? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me, 808. Love to be here. Appreciate it. Man, we're, we're honoured to have you. We're honoured to have you because you've got a storied history in the game, my friend. Um, and I just want to dig in with you as well and get a bit of insight into what that world was like and what your world is like now. But before we do, I need to ask you what I ask every guest when they come on. Adrian, what is the least hip-hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours? Least? Yes. That's an interesting one. I've never, I guess I should have probably listened to the podcast before. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a quandary because I don't uh, refer to any and all things I do as less than hip hop. I love that. I mean, I'm in it. I'm not in it for anything other than just be, my whole being is it. So it's hard to be yeah. outside of this, but I would say, Yo, 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 quick reminder, if you're enjoying the show, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button so you'll be kept up to date with all that we're doing. And also, man, get involved in the YouTube comments. Man, we love hearing from you fellow hip-hop heads. We love nerding out. So bring those takes and just bring that flavour, man, and we might even shout you out on the show. So, yes, appreciate all the support. Now, back to the episode. Oh, okay, here's one. Here's one for you. Okay. I, I tend to like to live outside of my own since, since all I do is live in hip hop, mm-hmm. I tend to like and enjoy being outside of it, being uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, um, quite frankly, I was riding my bike and we don't like to show, you know, our, our machismo don't let us <laughs> or allow us to show fear. Yeah. And I'm and I'm and I'm aware, you know, I'm aware of every my surroundings or whatever. I'm just riding my bike on Sunday Mm. and a dog lashed out at me. (laughs) And it was a little dog, too. It was the (laughs) wackest thing ever. Scared the heck out of me. Oh, man. And so to me, that's not necessarily you don't show fear in hip hop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was one. You could have even made up the dog part and called it massive, but you went, you were truly honest, which I love. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get the re- you're gonna get the real from me, man. I, I like making fun of myself since no one else likes to do it. Um, <laughs> I had a good buddy I used to manage named Danny, um, uh, Danny Grayson. God rest his soul. Everybody knows Danny from. I could say Danny Grayson to the top comics, and they all shiver. Because they knew he was the truth. Damn. But Danny was the guy who used to clown down on me all the time. Right. And none of my friends even, they don't really clown on me too, too tough. Yeah. My, 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 my close friends give me a hard enough time, but they don't, you know, they, we won't ever get into a full-blown bag session anymore. Yeah, we'll yeah. It's, it's it's with age and maturity and energy levels, I think. I think that's yeah, what happens. Yeah. I still like that kind of shit, though. So. Yeah, man. You're, I should realise you're in really good company, Adrian, because of all these questions I've asked in over 100 episodes, I've never really had fear or being scared of something apart from DJ Muggs. And 
I would never have thought DJ Bunkers would be scared of anything in my life. But when, so you, you and him, he was scared. He went to a Halloween thing and a guy jumped out at him and he almost smacked him. But he was like, okay. And he was with his kids and he got, he jumped. So you're in good company. You're a good company. Yeah, I was talking about mugs yesterday. That's funny. Oh, yeah. You talking to mugs, sorry, or were you talking about mugs? I was, I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours about him. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of history with that relationship. I see. In a good, in a good way. In a good way, yeah, man. I mean, God, you, you, the same place, West Coast. I mean, let's kick it off because I find, from my perspective, East Coast heavy. Very all the stuff we got early in the nineties was very East Coast heavy until Death Row and stuff like that. That just blew everything apart. Of my personal experience, but what I love and I find fascinating about this scene that you grew up in, that you were in, in like the early 90s LA scene, like the good life, um, just the people that were around that time. I was wondering if you could help paint a picture for me and the viewers and the listeners about what LA hip hop was like around 92, 91, 92, 93 for you. I mean, you know, truth be told, L.A. had hip hop <clears throat> because of our East Coast transplants that were here. A lot of the East Coast cats were here trying to teach us how to be in the scene. And, you know, I'll take you back to 77, 76. And I was just talking to Sir Jinx about um, growing up in South Central L.A. Mm. For us, it was all about, you know, boogalooing, popping you know, electro, disco was coming into a real different etching musically, the musicality of what we were getting hip hop. Of course, there was a Sugar Hill Gang, mm. but you have to take the perspective is Sugar Hill Gang only blew up because of Chic. Yeah. You know, um, they were dope, but good times is what took it over the top, that sample. Mm. And so we were listening to Cameo. We were listening to the Barclays. We were listening to, you know, um, those types of records here. And, you know, being a kid, you just needed to participate in my, my first entry was the music. Obviously the second entry was dancing for me. Mm. And then there was a whole scene in LA um, with dancing and, and the clubbing and the DJs. And so, you know, you take that, you take the scene of uncle jam's army, you take, um, you take that whole dance, scene and, and trend we call we call it the trendy era yeah a lot wow. of people don't know about an era in los angeles where crews you know were dancing crews against one another at different parties and in that era you had um the 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 sound of la was techno hop right you know yeah, yeah. And so i was really into like techno hop music and you know, now they call it, you know, uh, high energy or dance, you know, like electronic or whatever. But it was it was techno hop. And if you if you recall, Ice-T was originally signed to techno hop. Mm. He was signed to the techno hop label. So you had Egyptian Lover. You had um, Rudy Party, Snake Pup. You had a bunch of dope groups that came out of that era yeah. that kind of lended a lens for us to see how to be popular, how to be the man on stage with the mic, how to have the party scene, how to have, you know, my, one of my good friends was Gregory Everett, God rest his soul. Mm. He was one of the uh, original cats involved with a cult, a cult called Ultra Wave. Wow. And so Ultra Wave, Uncle Jam's Army, you know, all these different pioneering uh, DJ setups meant parties for the high schoolers. 
meant us going in, showing what we had capacity on the dancing side, brought you the uh, Soul Brothers, brought you uh, KOD, brought you um, Posers, brought you all these different dance crews that eventually turned into, you know, um, the Soul Brothers morphed into Dancers for Def Jeff, morphed into Divine Styler, Rhyme Syndicate, mm. you know, KOD morphed into bigger, you know, like it was all like a matter of, and KOD is Kings of Drag for those that didn't know. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of that, a lot of that era, and this is, this is, I'm talking still in the 80s at that point, mm. um, you know, 86 through. But, you know, we also had something jamming in L.A. that I got to give props to. And that was K-Day. A lot of people didn't have 24 hours of hip hop. Yeah. No yeah. matter if it was on an AM frequency, it was in stereo. So a lot of people didn't understand the difference of mono versus stereo. And stereo gave you the capacity to really boom in your car, yeah. even in AM. So we had some of the best opportunities to hear the best music because a lot of the DJs that were uh, featured on the Mixmaster show, mm. uh, Tony G, Julio G, Sir Jinx, um, Curtis Harmon, Mixmaster, uh, Michael Mixon Moore, Dr. Dre, mm. um, Wonder Twins, a lot of these guys, Han G, Evil E, um, a lot of the DJs on K-Day, thanks, shout outs to Greg Mack and K-Day, Mm. Um, a lot of those teams played music, obscure ass songs from the East Coast, artists that would have never seen the light of day and probably didn't realize they were kind of making noise in L.A. even. Damn. And, then, you know, you, you get you get a lot of uh, you got a lot of music and a lot of crossover. So we were learning as we were growing. We were really educating one another and didn't know it. Yo, 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 us here at the Crate 808 podcast have finally kicked off our Patreon. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a platform where you can go and for a small donation, you can help support us make more hip hop content for you. Go on to patreon.com forward slash Crate 808 and you can check out all the little payment options you've got there. You can check out the two new episodes you'll be getting every month, live chats with us guys, just to wrap nerd out with you guys. We're going to go into some wide ranging episodes delving into the work of the Wu-Tang Clan, MF Doom and Jay Diller. So get it locked if you want that new granular look at hip hop. So go to our payment tiers on Patreon, big up yourselves. If you choose to support us, thank you so much. I will give you a personalized shout out on the show and we shall catch you in one of these live rooms and let's get this community going. So spread the word, much love for your time and peace out. Boom. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, man. And you're making it your own, which again, uh, for me, came to real life when I started hearing and seeing the videos of Good Life and making that as, almost like an epicenter of sorts from my perspective. From your perspective, what does Good Life, what did Good Life mean to you then and what does it mean to you now? All right. So I have a real interesting Good Life story. It's going gonna, it's gonna to unfold in so, so many ways. Okay. I'm gonna give it to 80. I'm gonna give it to 808 first, okay? <laughs> okay, thank you. Nobody knows this. And those that know can't tell it. Right. Damn. So when we were from we were we called, see, I'm gonna give you the whole language. When when we were from party down, mm. we were leaving a, 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 a get down, a party, 
my cousin and I were leaving a party super late at night and I'm just grabbing flyers off of the walls and just making sure that we don't miss another party down. So we were from party down that night Mm -hmm. and we were on our way home and we were on Manchester and I saw a poster saying, you know, be first to enjoy um, our time together. Poets, rappers, everybody, you know, come and join in and blah, 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 blah. We're going to have our, our block meeting at Joseph's Mm. on Manchester. And yeah, I was just uh, visiting with my cousin from St. I was in St. Louis at the time living, but I was visiting with my cousin and out there, I used to cut grass and do all these different things. So I would have money when I would come here. I wouldn't be just some poor broke kid that Mm. wanted to go dance, actually have my gear together. And, you know, so we went to, um, we were, we were coming in from party down and we were, I forget where we had went out that night, but whatever. And then I saw that sign about meet up at Joseph's about the neighborhood. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to do things in the community too. I'm not just here. Take, 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 take. So again, my mentality was how can I be, be purposeful? It wasn't even about me trying to be an artist or anything like that. Mm. I think all of us thought in the back of our mind that there was hope for us yet in terms <laughs> In terms of our our actual get down. So we went to the um, meeting. It was like the block. um, It was like uh, B Hall put together this meeting of all the people that she could get together. And it was only like a handful of us, maybe like six or seven people showed up. Mm. Um, My boy, uh, Brian, um, Brian Bellamy. I won't forget his name. His girlfriend, Crystal B Hall, her son, my cousin and I, Lamar Algie and I, we both went. Um, there was a handful of other people there, but that particular meeting, she said, look, we want to do a thing where it's an open mic. She didn't really quite have it all together, mm. but she had a, a brilliant vision. And she said something that really triggered me, which was, there's nowhere else like this. We have to do something for our community because the kids are missing the opportunity to be on the mic and be heard and be seen. Mm. And I want to do something that's clean cut. And, you know, um, I went away. I like I put my donation in the hat and I was like, this is all the money I got in the world. Let me go ahead and put it towards something I think is going to be relevant. And I put it towards that. Again, it was not called the good life Mm. because we were at Joseph's restaurant at the time. So yeah. it was supposed to be called Joseph's yeah. and the good life happened because I think B got a relationship. It was actually a, a health food store called the good life. Mm. And B created a relationship with them. Wherein as, Hey, the kids are going to come in here and do, you know, I think it was Wednesdays, maybe it was Thursdays once a week. Um, then there'd be open mic. There won't be any cursing. And then we started to police our own, selves to be better lyrically um and and grow now remember i left town Mm. i went back to st louis this started going on and it grew and kind of was becoming when i came back my cousin was like yo let's go check out this good life thing blah 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 blah. here you know it's open mic this and that and maybe i was pressing him or he was pressing me the case was we went Mm. and when i showed up b looked at me like where you been? And I said, I, you know, I'm, I live in St. Louis. So I just, I'm back visiting, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm from, I'm originally born in St. Louis, but I was raised in LA. So I was just kind of back and forth all my life. And she was just like, look at what we created. And I go, 
what what do we create? I'm I'm still I've never seen it. Yeah. So I'm here in the middle of it. And I, you know, I think I saw um sin, the, the girls go up. Mm. And I'm just paying attention and everybody's vibing. And I'm like, whoa, we did this? And she's like, Yeah, you you contributed, right? And I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Thank you, B. And she was like, no, no, thank you. This is us. And I was just like, I've always felt home at the good life. And I didn't go as much as a lot of people went every week. I didn't go. But when I did go, I was always with the intention of, well, what can I do now? Now that we got it, what can we do to grow it? Yes. And it was about finding um, a method to being the business. Now, I know um, Ava put out uh, the, the movie she did. Yeah which I, you know, incredible film, what it didn't show. I mean, you know, it was a, a bunch of people she missed, but you know, whatever, that's near, neither here nor there. Mm. She, she didn't tell the story I'm going to give you, which is the success from the good life, the mm. success stories out of the good life, which went on and on. And there were several, you know, yeah. yeah a lot of people got record deals. A lot of people got record deals. Matter of fact, Freestyle Fellowship, I helped them get their first record deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was not a manager. I was not an A&R person. I was just a hustling ass guy in the scene. Yeah. You know, trying to be a man of my word and an honorable source of um, certainality. Like I wanted Kim Bowie to know my friend who signed the Freestyle Fellowship, I wanted her to know I had real connections in my neighborhood with mm. guys that were, you know, and, and these guys I met maybe here and there at The Good Life, but we weren't like friends all of our life or anything like that. It was just like, hey guys, you got to trust that I'm going to bring you to the right source. Yeah. And it wasn't like I took them to several sources to see who gave us the best opportunity. No, it was like, you got a source, let's get it. <laughs> And yeah. so, yeah, you know, I, I was really building strongly at that point with Jay Sumbi, who was the producer mm. of Freestyle. Um, and they really had their thing together. They were really smart guys. Micah Nine and I had a real good relationship previous to mm. the, the whole Freestyle Fellowship thing coming full circle. When he was Micah Nine, we would just freestyle yeah. in the Baldwin Hills Shopping Center together at, at Earl's uh, Wiener spot. Like Earl had this uh, little cart that he would sell hot dogs on. Yeah, yeah. we go and just bust freestyles and kick it. That's amazing. So we had a relationship. And so, you know, I saw the good life from the perspective of being in a position to help the others mm. um, out. And so it was, you know, Fuzzy hit me up one night. Yo, how come you're not helping me get no job in the industry? <laughs> okay. I don't have a job in it. What are you talking about? Like you, you sound crazy. And he's like, no, you, y'all are making moves, you and your cousin and this and that. And I'm just like, all right, Fuzzy. And sure enough, two weeks later, I helped Fuzzy get a job. Damn. You know, yeah. big, big, big Boy and Fuzzy were together on a regular. It was Big Boy, Fuzzy, Sean Juan, and DJ Ray. They were all a crew. Mm. Little troublemakers. <laughs> but come to find out, Big Boy was needed. We got him on the road with Farside mm. from an incident that happened. So we brought him out on the road as security for Farside. Right. And this was my guy. So I helped, you know, my cousin and I helped him get his job. Mm. My cousin worked at Delicious. Right, right. I never, I never worked for Delicious. Okay. But I was just always around. These are my crew, you know. Mm. I met the Farside from Razcast. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. And 
during that time, I was more interested in working with Raz than I was any other artist. Right. That was my, he was my ace. He was one of my favorite rappers. Yeah. And I mean, like at the time, he was just, just the boom bap was in him and he was nothing like him in LA. Mm. And so he was so humble. Raz was like, you got to meet my boys. If you think I'm dope, where do you get a load of them? And that, and it was just like them meeting our entire crew. Mm. And, uh, you know, Paul was the man. Paul Stewart was the manager. Yeah. A lot of people wanted. And I worked for Paul when I came back home from college. My first job was working at PMP. So, so there you have a lot of like. Yeah. Yo, what up, y'all? This is DJ Premier, and you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. Hey, yo, 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 this is your boy, Farrell March, and right now, you are rocking live with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, what's up? This is Del, the funky homo sapien, down with hieroglyphics, the funk pimp. Come on here for some good shit. Yes, yes, you're rocking with the best. This is the one and only Just Blaze. Right now, you're checking out the Crate 808 Podcast. This is Open Mike Equal, and you are currently rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, peace and love to this homeboy, Man, and you're rocking with the Crate 808 podcast. It's the place to be. So good for you. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor Nelson, your R&B ambassador, talking all things R&B and hip hop on the Crate 808 podcast. Hey, yo, yo, check it out. This is the rapper Big Pooh, and I need you, 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 and you to make sure you check out this week's episode of the Crate 808 podcast. Tell everybody the rapper says so. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal, um, as you said, pool of just incredible talent. You're talking about Freestyle Fellowship, you're talking about Razkaz, then you're talking about Farside. Although you all come from similar places, unbelievable how sonically different you are. Like when you, was there anyone like Freestyle Fellowship when they were going up and rhyming? Were they that unique at that time? Incredible. The, the problem with Freestyle is that they were so on point that if you thought for one minute you were going to ever come in and see them on their stage, mm. I don't care where you're from, you would have had to get up really early in the morning to eat two boxes of Wheaties because they were just fierce. And yeah. other rappers, like that's why the crew was called the heavyweighter crew because it wasn't just Freestyle Fellowship. It was Freestyle Fellowship, Volume 10, Abstract Tribe Unique, mm. First Brigade, Ganja K, Doris His Soul. Um, and a lot of these guys had the most fiercest producers around them too. So mm. you had, it was, it was triple threats a lot of times because they were, they were, it was like, um, I got to give props to Thelis Singleton who did the artwork on the Freestyle Fellowship. Um, yeah. Album cover. He did volume 10's album cover artwork. So um, Inner City Griots volume 10 hip hop. No, is it hip hop? I can't remember, I can't remember which one he did, but yeah, they, they are similar. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fellas, and he was our artist for the good life. So you got to give the props across the board because when I tell you it was a it was a health food, well, health and wellness restaurant. So mm. we're thinking almost in that era about being vegan, mm. about eating right. In '92, everybody, everyone in that everyone in that room knew who Doctor Sadie was. Mm. We weren't just on a pathway of music. Everybody wasn't trying to be a rapper. A lot of people were trying to be producers and DJs and graffiti artists. A lot of people. Big Boy had a um, he had a he had some technology set up. Big Boy had the What's Up hotline. You could call to find out what's up. <laughs> you dial in on the pager. Yeah. And hey, 
we listened to the What's Up Hotline. Him and his sister set it up. Damn. And this is Ida's son, big boy. And yeah, he was doing his thing then. Mm. And so at the time, I think, the, the okay, so I was working with Nick and Aaron, the Baker mm-hmm. Boys. So they were the biggest thing on radio in LA at the time, even though we had K-Day, mm. Power 106 and K-Day weren't affiliate back then. Right. Power 106 was playing dance music, electro music, and then they all of a sudden just started formatting rap and hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. And then they became the destination of where hip hop lives from these two Mexican guys out of Bakersfield versus guys in LA. Yeah. So it was a lot of bitterness, but I just, I wasn't bitter. I just went and started rocking with them immediately. Mm. And so we we had a friendship and a relationship and I was managing the Baker Boys. And so I could get all my records played, yeah. but they were in fear of getting there. They were in fear of the the the, the, um, the system and they, they were not real programmers as much as they were definitely dope DJs. Wow. What I liked about them, I respected them about is that they were dope DJs. Um, they were fascinated with mugs and I was working with mugs at that, in that era as well. Mm. So it, it was like a lot for me, there wasn't anybody I didn't smile at and cross over into business and opportunities with. It was if I, if we could have a conversation, we could do business. Amazing. So super easy. Amazing, man. Love that. You, you mentioned volume 10 there, absolute legend, pistol grip pump, all that we know. What do you remember about that time when Lynch Mob, Cube, Volume 10, there was a lot of chat about Cube maybe biting that style. What do you remember of that time? All right. I'll tell you like this. You know, I it, that was my album. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to Mac down on the girl, more L.A. jargon, if you were to be a Mac, you were you were a guy that was you got over on her. Mm-hmm. I Mac that girl down and got her number. Mm-hmm. I was macking to him about that money. We definitely had to break bread. Right, right. Okay. Right. So what do you do if you mac ten? Oh wow. Okay. Jeez, is that a? It's deep. In in volume, I would I would let Dino tell you the story because he I wasn't there when Cube came to the Good Life, but Cube did go to the Good Life. Right. And you know, after that night, Volume felt like he took his style. I ain't with my dogs, man. Fuck a gorilla. Mm. He said that line mm. because gorillas in the mist was something that Cube kind of and and you know biting. You didn't, you didn't bite nobody at the good life. Mm-mm. You got dealt with. Mm. You guys were serious MCs, man. And if you left the good life, first of all, you couldn't get on the mic at the good life and do anything niggity, figgity, figgity, niggity, shiggity, liggity. It yeah. was none of that. Yeah, yeah. When you did that, you were taken off the mic. Because it was just a nervous twitch not to come, you know, like, use your words. Yes. Second of all, you couldn't curse. Mm. There was no profanity. Yeah. No profanity on the microphone. So you curse, you make it a figure, you out. So originality ruled through, shine through. So you could tell if somebody took your your colorway, your sash, whatever you were wearing, or your sound, you could tell. 
And the problem was is that Volume 10 did not have a record deal. Ice Cube did. Yeah. And Cube didn't like when Volume 10 got signed and he came out with Pistol Grip Pump. And, you know, there was a lot of work for us to get to Pistol Grip. And I reached out to Cube personally. I reached out to everybody to help us. I reached, I reached everybody twice. For me, doing a song like Pistol Grip, making a record like that with him mm. in the Baker Boys, now you see the union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. So in doing that, I'm, I'm, in, and this is a shout to Mugs. I'm trying to please Mugs. I'm trying to show Mugs. I got what it takes as a producer. Yeah. I got wherewithal to show you, Mugs, my guy, my mentor, my dude. Like I want you to see my capacity, and then maybe you'll be like, "Yo, hey, come to the studio." Mm. Mugs is like. It's all right. <laughs> he was like, it's all right. And so Pistol Grip was my like, shit, if you don't like this record, I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, he hit me with, it's all right. And it was all right. Like, we had a good album, and Pistol Grip was all right. Yeah. But we, we should have done more. It should have been the bar from which we started, and then we maybe went back and redid it. But volume was over recording. He was just like, I'm putting out my album. He was so anxious. And then, you know, I've learned since then, there's no reason to be anxious. You know, you take what you feel is your hit record and you do it over and over and over and over. And there's parts you're going to want to clean up. There's things you want to going to change. There's sounds you want to want to tighten. Um, but, you know, 2020 being hindsight, we get an opportunity to learn about yeah. how, to, how to maturation of recording. That's why I was able to take um, all the records I've dealt with and turn it into the experiences I now have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Life is a learning lesson. It's a lesson, man. And the stuff that you've learned goes on. Cause I was looking at far side and how you linked with far side. And I was thinking they, cause we had slim kid tray on as well. And we we're talking about like their chemistry as a group. And they seemed quite wild, like as in like they were fighting and stuff like that, but they were also, you know, loving each other as well. How, what lessons did you learn seeing acts like that um, do what they did? What lessons did you learn in the industry where you're like, you know what, what, what have I learned from this? I mean, you know, watching the far side, watching the freestyle fellowship, you know, I always say this and I kind of continue. This is my through line and all the interviews and all the things that I talk about now. Hey, what's up? This is Black Thought and you are now rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. This is Stretch Armstrong. Ooh-wee. My name is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate 808 podcast real hip hop we are a unit we are a family our gifts are supposed to be used amongst ourselves so that we can share when we when it's time to bring something to the family picnic mm. you don't want to come empty handed and start trying to eat off of everyone else's plate so you need to bring your contribution and as a family member if your contribution is simply your rap you're not really bringing too much. It's like macaroni without no cheese. Yeah. If you, all you do is rap, mm. 
there's so much more you need to know about why rappers who are dope, why they are dope, in fact. Yeah. Why MCs know how to rock a party and rappers are scared to get on the mic. Yeah. What's the difference of being an MC and a, and an, and a rapper? Mm. You know, a rapper raps, an MC commands a crowd, moves the room, yeah. directs traffic. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and nothing, no disrespect or no shade to rappers, it's more to hip hop. Mm. And we've tended to lose traction on explaining that importance of our, and I'm not gonna use the passe word culture, mm. or as, as an architect in this culture, you can't possibly think that you're stick home would have a foundation without a real foundation. Mm. And people, I see people who rap look over breakers, like whatever. But if you ain't got nobody to dance to your music, then what, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. Like if all you talk about is how to terrorize, then you should be into terrorism. Mm. If all you talk about is how many people you got laid you should go see the doctor. Yeah. If all you're talking about is all the money you want to get, you should get a job. Mm. Yeah. Because, because like I hear academics and the younger cats talking about, oh, your fan base is becoming your net worth and all this other stuff. And that that's, it's a fact. Mm -hmm. I would never knock that. But if we don't start to, entertain ourselves as a family unit all this destruction is on us mm. we don't gotta defund the police we need to create a bond amongst one another that bond that speaks from here where are you at i'm in england so that bond that speaks from los angeles to england that through line mm -mm. that wasn't just for the 90s yeah that's for now and these artists who, if, if you want to be the gangster, you're blocking yourself from potentially traveling from where you're at to where you go. Now, I can't front if you are in a bad situation and you got to fight to get out mm -hmm. and your frequency is low and you don't understand how to get out of that situation without fighting or whatever it takes to get you through it. Mm -hmm. Then I just say, hey, man, pick up the phone, hit me on Instagram and let Big Bro tell you how to get out of that situation and navigate those waters because we understand it. We've mm. been there. Yeah. And it, it's deep because it's not just music. Mm. It's not just culture. You asked me earlier, the least hip hop thing I've ever done. Yeah. It's all hip hop things I do. This yeah. is my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, if mm -hmm. without hip hop, I don't know where I would have ended up. I'm not going to say I would have ended up robbing somebody or being in jail, mm -hmm. but statistically speaking, I wasn't supposed to make it past 21 yeah. in South. So I'm not so um, fascinated with, oh, I got more money than this person or that. Mm -hmm. Nah, I work really hard. I'm going to outwork you. You want to you want to know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna outwork you, yeah. And that's that. And that was always my intent. Mm -hmm. I'll work the next person so that I can prove my point and get to where I gotta grow. Mm. Not go, grow. Yeah, 
Yeah. This is not, this is not some destination. It's a journey. Yes. Absolutely, man. This is so deep. I love this. This is what I've always loved about the culture that we're in because it's a world, it's a biosphere on its own. It's a world. We have everything we need in it to survive. And I always feel that building together feeling, despite the machoism, despite the top five conversations, and I'm king in New York and I'm this and I'm that. Despite all of that, I always loved the fact, especially in the 90s when you guys came up, there was this beating heart and soul to it from Chuck D and KRS to what they were saying to people like Kendrick now. When I see Kendrick now, it feels like that soul is still there. So I really appreciate you putting it so eloquently, man, better than I could have ever. So yeah, I love that. Um, I was going to ask you though about like... um, you talked there a bit about mugs. So I just wanted to talk about like soul assassins, obviously being just huge, especially they translated so massively over here, but you were around as well. When house of pain were around that time in hip hop for you, what was so different? Why was, why was jump around like getting so big and Cypress Hill? And what was the keys to those things happening in your opinion and just blowing up and changing hip hop? I mean, you couldn't have been more readier as a unit, as a squad. Like, mm. Soul Assassins, when it first launched, man, it was a squad. Like, you had to think, jump around. I mean, in theory, you probably, as mugs, would have wanted everything under the same roof, mm. in theory. But to pass the record, over to Tommy Boy was probably the smartest thing because Tommy Boy was set up and in, in, the, in, in the timing was perfect for them to have a song from a, you know, I probably will only say this right now because he's not, mm-hmm. even though he goes by Whitey Ford now, mm-hmm. Everlast to me was, I always missed the point of him being a white boy. Mm-hmm. He was so soulful. He was so, he, He's a white guy, but he never, you know, you really miss the, the, the color lines unless somebody wearing it on their their chest. Mm. You never really saw that. And so the whole like the Celtic piecing and all that that came would be what House of Pain stood for. That all came like it was again, they were so ready mm. the art to the sound to the we got another one right after that. We can keep going. Yeah. Um you know, to the, you know, being at the parade in Boston at the timely of doing a music video, it, that couldn't have been planned out better. And it was just timing. Yeah. It was just in, it, a series of really cool things. It was time for the music video to get shot. Oh, why don't we just go do it at the St. Patty's parade in Boston? <laughs> like, uh, because we're not set up. We don't have no, how about we don't do that because we don't have, um, the, the, we don't, we don't have city permits. We don't have any of that kind of shit. And, it wasn't needed after yeah. all. Like we just went in there and gang busted. And I can recall taking the record around, taking the green vinyl for Jump Around, around to people saying, hey, I want you to play my song. Mm. And we were working in tandem because I worked for the management company that handled House of Pain. Wow, but wow. even before that, I was with, I heard the first version of Jump Around because Lethal played it for me. He's like, look what me and Ralph and them came up with. And, you know, yeah. I was like, Yo, mind blown. Like it was just so syncopated on point. Timing was well. And from a demo to being out from a demo, like it took no less than 12 weeks to make vinyl. 
But so from a demo to getting the vinyl, it seemed like it went like that. Wow. It didn't go like that, but it did go like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was just interesting to see like then a fast turnaround was possibly five, six months to get everything ready to go promote. Yeah, yeah. Not one month, it's out. My singles burnt out in over six weeks. It was never like that. Mm-hmm. It was always set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. Precision, you know, yeah. I can't speak to the business about, um, you know, the behind the scenes, Mm-mm-mm. but shout outs to, you know, my bros, Everlast, mm-hmm. DJ Lethal, you know, yeah. um, Ralph M from Funk Doobie, his son Doobie, Tomahawk. Those were my guys. I like later went on to executive produce records with them. Mm. Um, you know, Danny and I get along. Yeah, I'm, I still fuck with Danny. I see, well, I don't fuck with him, but I see him mm. on, you know, I'm, I'm probably out of that crew closest to Lethal. He and I still yeah. touch base with each other. I've, I've gone and managed Lee, not managed Lee. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Managing DJ Lethal, anybody will be able to tell you is a fucking headache in and of itself. <laughs> he, okay, he's a fucking crazy guy, but but he's still fam. And then you know, I see mugs at the gym every now and again, and mm. we still have a laugh about life and times. You know, be real. Just started following me on Instagram. That's a funny ass thing. Good stuff. Sin Dog and Mellow, those are my bros right there. Like, I really, really, really fuck. Like, everything stops, and we stay in the same time that we were in back then. Beautiful. With them and all their kids to this day. That's like, amazing. Love for them, and shout-outs to, um, shout to what's going on in, 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 in the Cuba and how that affects everybody in the crew. Absolutely. Hey guys, this is Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest. You're listening to The Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, yo, what's up, man? It's your man, Elzai, and you're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. You know what I'm saying? Well, you can check out, you know, artists like me. Hey, it's Steve Rifkin from Loud Records. You're rocking with The Crate 808 Podcast. Spread the word. These guys are dope. The questions they ask in the interview is amazing. Enjoy yourself. Be safe and be healthy. One, two, one, two. You know what it is. This your man, S-K-Y-Z-O-O, Sky Zoo, live out the borough. And this is The Crate 808 Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share that love and put your peoples on. Peace and light. This is Cy Rock rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. And you want to check out everything hip hop on Crate808.com. Yo, this is Juggernaut, Nottingham City, NG area. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Make sure you keep it locked in. There's so many gems drop. Crate808.com. Hey, yo, this is the one and only R.A., the rugged man. And I'm rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast with my man Cam. Yeah. It was just a good time. And you got to think that Buzz Tone was managing Cypress, House mm-hmm. of Pain, Funk Dubious, all of the Soul Assassins, Dante yeah. Ariola, who was doing all the artwork at the time for everything. Mm. Um, Esteban, who was touring with House of Pain, Cartoon, mm. you know, Amazing. the likes of everybody who was in our crew. Like that was a, think about that office. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't, that wasn't the label. Or, or shall I say, that wasn't all the artists that we managed. Damn. Was Young Al there? Alchemist, was he around at that time? Or was it, was, did you remember? Uh, he, he came around because he was in the Hooligans. That was it, the Hooligans. B-Real stamped the Hooligans. Mm. So they weren't necessarily soul assassins, but they were, but B-Real was like executive producing. So Scott Kahn's there as well. 
just yeah. chilling. Amazing. Yeah. I love the hooligans story. It's just fascinating to me. Because um, I think it was Amanda Sears who was, was she managing Cyprus? I might have got that completely wrong, but I do remember seeing that name, Amanda oh, Sears. Amanda Demi. Hmm? Amanda Demi. Amanda Demi. Sorry, Amanda Demi. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Cyprus alone, they were so different to Farside, who were different to House of Pain. When you're trying to convince people to sign an artist, what was the most difficult one for you? Where you were like, these guys are so good. Why is nobody seeing how good they are? Did you have a moment like that? Anderson. Oh, really? Interesting. Nobody got it. Tell me that story. Nobody got it. But he wasn't, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. So yeah, he was the hardest. He was the most recent and mm. the hardest. But you know, one thing is for sure, by the time I like it, I don't really care who likes it or not. I'm mm. gonna I'm gonna keep pushing and putting the buttons in and going at it because it, there is something to be said about managers who don't give up on their yeah. client. There's yeah, something yeah. to be said about managers who know how to fight the good fight for their clients. Mm. And the clients gotta understand that actually the clients way understand how hard the job is because they didn't do it themselves. Mm. Yeah. Anderson had been around. If you were supposed to know about Anderson, you would have known about Anderson as breezy Lovejoy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And you know, a lot of people are about the, a lot of people need the book of educating themselves on the business of music and what it really takes to get you from point A to point B. Mm. But I will say that uh flow rider was a, Flowrider was so hard, I never got him a deal. Damn. That's my bro. But um, I took him everywhere twice. Damn. And he wound up at a place that told me no to begin with. I ain't going to say no names because I don't got time to get him no Yeah, names. yeah. But then they signed him afterwards. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, you're going to sign my guy after I have worked all, all, all this time to get him in front of you. Then you tell me no, and then you go sign him with someone else so they get all the prop. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Big yourself up for having that positive energy around you still, though, because I can imagine that not being the only knockback. I'm sure you've had quite a few, but to talk yeah, to you, you now, it feels yeah, more often than more often than not. You're told no before you're told let yes. You know, mm. I always I always know. Let me go ahead and get started on these no's so I can get them out the way. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the reality is that there are a lot of places to go get told no. Mm. Yeah. And there are a lot of places to get told yes. You just got to know where to go now. That's and nice. that's my business to figure that out. That's the secret sauce of getting deals mm. uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I just want to touch on a, a very special time in my, my life, listening to hip hop uh, with ruthless death row being like just so huge over here. Like they, they were just, that was it. That was, that was my yep. life. Um, I want to know your relationship really with them from easy Jerry Heller, obviously at the time as well. And, if you saw like firsthand or if you saw anything where you saw the atmosphere maybe changing a little bit at that time between those crews. Well, keep in mind that was an era that I was a fan too. Mm. You know, when easy first got his label started with Dre and everybody, I was just a fan of the music. I wasn't involved at all whatsoever, but yeah, um, my, my big bros like um, Doug, you know, Doug was in it to win it. He had, he was there with McCola when Jerry got the deal and got easy sign. Mm. So, you know, shouts out to Doug Young and his stories are phenomenal. Um, 
I'm actually going to meet Terry Heller for lunch in 15 minutes. Oh right my, now. that's amazing. Okay, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Terry and I are friends to the end. Um, and I was really like, Jerry is mean as he was to everybody. I got a chance to see him without the grizzly bear coat on. Mm-mm-mm. Underneath the grizzly bear, Jerry Heller, there was a teddy bear, Jerry Heller. Mm-hmm. I got it. I'm, I'm so honored that I got a chance to know that Jerry. Mm-hmm. And Easy respected me like a businessman because he thought I was much more paid than I actually was. Mm-hmm. Easy was like, I remember the time I met Easy. He, he, we were in the parking lot at the at uh, ninety two point three the beat because mm. they had the uh, ruthless radio show. Why Julio G mm. and Easy goes, Mister Adrian Miller, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, Who's calling my name? It can't be fucking Easy E. <laughs> and then he goes, I thought you were an older white Jewish guy. The way your name runs run, rings in the halls, and I'm like, Damn. What? I didn't know what it was. What he was saying, I, I thought he was like cracking on me. He was just like, nah, man, I really, I see you. I see what you're up to. Um, you know, that, it wasn't like, when are we going to work together or no shit like that? But I'm just there with my mouth open, like, <laughs> fucking easy eat. Like, you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. fucking easy. Yeah. And then I just, you know, I really got out of the, out of the shock of it, of him speaking to me. Cause it wasn't like I was starstruck necessarily but i was just in mode that how the fuck you know me Mm, 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 and we talked and he always had a good game for me he always had a good word for me he was always cool with me and you know again i didn't do business with him i wound up signing uh doing doing you know managing hobson when he was signed to ruthless so i worked with ruthless and you know kind of like an unsaid thing with me that people don't understand I've always wanted to work with all the greatest hip hop labels. Okay. Right. And I have. I about to say, I think you might have done. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, the death row thing. <laughs> it's so many entry points with that. Yeah. I'm so glad I was never in business with that entity in a negative connotated version of it. Mm. Um, but before Death Row existed, it was called Godfather Entertainment. Mm. I got the phone call. I got one of the first calls of when Godfather was getting ready to put money into that entity mm. and let it be the label. I got one of the first calls from Harry O. Harry O hit me up when he was locked up. Damn. And, you know, at the time, I was a source because I was working at Warner Brothers. Right. So... Things were in motion with them already. And I think I had um, I had Smooth 7 mm-hmm. signed to me, I Smooth 7. Mm. He signed to my production company. Right. That was a bit of a shit show because <laughs> one day he was signed, the next day he wasn't so much. Damn. Um, and then I remember Suge telling me how Smooth, smooth he's, he pointed at Smooth, he's like, you're on death row. I'm like, no, he's not even my artist. Yeah. He can't be on death row. And then Harry O tidied that up right quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, next thing you know, we were not on death row. Okay. And smooth, I thought we was on death row. I was like, <laughs> yeah. bro. Right. Yeah. Man, that, that, that scene, yeah, it's fascinating. As you said, so many entry points. But one of the things I wanted to kind of end this conversation really with you is because a lot of this chat is West Coast, LA, your experience of that. But I also understand your um, – 
cousins with Freeway Rick. So when I watch yeah. Snowfall and I'm watching Saint on Snowfall and these ridiculous tales that are grounded in some truth of COINTELPRO, of the crack epidemic, I want to know from your point of view, as having a family member in that, how have what that what's fuck the police mean to you? Like really still, do you know what I mean? Like that that must hit home harder, I assume. So uh Rick, for the record, is family but not like, you know, blood related. Right, right, right. Um he's always had again, the era of getting phone calls from Harry O in prison mm. on his mobile phone when fools didn't really even have mobile phones. Yeah. He's calling me from lockdown, you know. Rick is hitting me like, hey, I want you to come run my company. And I'm like, I got a job. I work for Benny Medina. It's at Warner Brothers. I ain't getting ready to go do nothing else. But yeah. I'm here to help and I'm here to support. And I'm here. It's just like I've always been the same. Hey, I'll show up to show love and support where I can. Mm. Um, but so when when the 80s crack epidemic hit L.A., that's when my mom was like, oh, no, you're out of here. Mm. So I missed that entire right. thing here. I personally didn't have to deal with that part. Right. But, you know, as it goes, we all had a family member or knew somebody close to our family that dealt in that because it was not just Rick who had access to dope. It was L.A. proper. Mm. And you were either selling it or doing it. There wasn't no in-between markers. If you were living the nice lifestyle far I mean, doctors, anybody, you were either selling it or doing it. Unbelievable. And that's the word in L.A. It was like somebody just blanketed the entire L.A. with dope. And you either got it dropped in bags in front of your house to sell it or you got it doused all over you. And then you were anointed in it to do yeah. it. And that was deeper than slavery because we were cognizant. We knew what we were doing, but our hands were tied behind our backs as a community. Mm when you infuse something like that and you saw the show snowfall and they gave it to you kind of raw. And again, in real time, when you stand next to somebody and they get shot, can you imagine what goes through you? I mean, like later for it being drug related, just in real time, mm. what really happened in the community through the way the government was behind the scenes terrorizing the community. I gotta say that it was systematic, that it was set up, that it was all designed. I gotta say that because I was in the community mm. and I've come back to the community and I've seen the devastation and I've seen how LA 25 years later has fluctuated with land, with the way we think and deal with one another. Mm. And it's, it's heartbreaking because, you know, being an Afro-Latino and understanding black, brown, the synergy, you are no different than me. Mm -hmm. We can't be against somebody who had a plotful thing against us. Why? Because we weren't set up or designed. Yeah. We can participate in that plot. We can be unwilling participants, mm. but there aren't enough leaders that tell the truth about 
why we should do things the way we should versus not. Mm. Now, I'm not going to get into a bunch of political, you know, onslaught and things like that, but I think very deeply about our, our ways and our youth. And I think deeply because the kids don't realize that everything is not in the books that you read in high school and in school, but you're supposed to learn how to go get books from the library. You're supposed to learn how to go do your own research. You're supposed to learn how to talk to your family members who have the knowledge, who can kick it to you. That crackhead uncle or auntie that you think are just out to lunch actually have some information for you that you won't ever get if you don't speak to them about it. Yeah. Um, so it, it really, it, it breaks my heart when we don't have a united front with one another. But unfortunately, um, fortunately, we have to learn how to do things in bite-sized chunks. So each one, teach one is like, you got to actually do yourself, lead by example, um, keep the positive flow against the negative and the sky watches down, period. Like just know what you do in this time, in the here and now probably is not a first time for you doing it. Yeah. And until, and until you can put the period at the end of that sentence, rip it up, burn it up and put it behind you. Mm. And that's in forgiving as well. That's being cognizant of the way we, in which we can forgive yeah. is so powerful. So I'll talk about that faster than I will. Like what we going to do to fight the government? Yeah. Vote. Like you want to do something against the government? Vote. Mm. Vote them out of office. Encourage your friends to vote them out of office. Well, yeah. you don't know that they're, what they're planning. You don't have an idea conceptually. Look around. You're not dumb. Mm. Every house in LA is a million dollars. Every house. You get a house for $600,000, you go buy it, they're going to tell you it's uh, 900000 and change. Yeah, yeah. By the time you get to it. Dumb. There's just, it's dumb when we are looking right at it and it's looking right at us for us not to take inventory of self. Mm. And so that's what I'll leave you with. Yeah, man. Man, that's deep. And I appreciate you sharing that with us and the listeners, man, for sure. Absolutely. Um, well, Adrian, man, it's been amazing having you on. We didn't even get to half the things I wanted to talk about, but I, again? I, but exactly, man. And I was actually going to say, if there's a No Worries project coming at any point, please let us know. Because that those I know Anderson's amazing, knowledge is amazing, his they're all amazing. But that no worries is something special about that that tandem of when they get in together, man. So they, they are working on a new project. Uh shouts out to the team that's on that. Mm. Um, you know, bro's kind of doing his own thing and I'm doing my own thing. Mm. I don't get in the way with what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, we've come a long way together. And so I like to keep the intentions all positive. You know, yeah. um, what I am doing though is delicious vinyl Island. We're doing a Caribbean label with Michael Ross and Leslie and Sharon Burke. Wicked. So Mike Ross, Leslie Cooney, Sharon Burke, we have a very cool initiative called delicious vinyl Island.com. Mm. Brand new, but, you know, in the realm of future roots, you know, you can ask Ross Kwame about us in Orange Hill. Yeah. We got it cracking from here to London town. We My get down super serious. So uh, Panama, London, the Caribbean at large, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, you name it, we're there. We're in full motion, Love that. knocking them down brick by brick. Big artists coming, enough respect to artists like Los Racas, artists like... 
Leila Aiki, artists like Black Hero, mm-hmm. Runkis, Amanye. I mean, we got so many new artists that are just bumping chaos, mm. uh, natural high. I can just go on and on and on and on and on with the new artists that we're breaking. And I'm very proud that I'm giving these artists a voice and, and, and an opportunity to hear and be heard and be seen and mm. be felt and have their music touching the next wave. So that's the delicious vinyl island thing that I'm doing. Mm. Speaking of being in business with every label that I ever wanted to do business <laughs> with. Yeah. That's delicious vinyl. Um, Omas Keith and I, have a company called a tiny universe. Mm -hmm. We just wrapped up the music for a feature film I'm producing called Karen. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So that'll be out in September September. and you'll get a chance to hear a lot of artists on our label on that. Nice. So shout outs to gumbo, pregnant boy, wolf, uh, code of the friend. Mm. Um, we got a lot of dope artists coming on that project as well. Speaking of artists in your backyard, Knox Brown is on the project. Knox Brown, okay, yep. okay. Um, along with um, Ego LMA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we got. You know, I, I'm oh. always like, I'm a West End type. <laughs> West End type. I love that. I love that man. Wicked man. It's so nice to see you doing all this and just helping all the next generation, man. So yeah, big yourself up, yeah, man. man yourself up well adrian no nah, it's, it's important to have vehicles like yours so i appreciate 808 Thank and you, a man. shout out to you and everything that you're doing and just keep talking to the people who don't want to be spoken to eventually we'll get on with you <laughs> thank you man thank you well peace out bro and much love and just yeah keep spreading that energy bro just keep spreading it peace wicked <laughs>